Welcome to the Vintage Church Podcast. You're listening to a teaching message by Vintage Church in Harker Heights, Texas. Whenever and wherever you are listening to this, our hope is that you are encouraged and challenged by this message and that you are inspired to take your next step with Jesus. For more information, please visit us at vintage.church or follow us on Facebook by searching Vintage Church TX. Well, hello, everyone, and welcome to our brand new series, Daniel. For those of you who are visiting with us for the first time or the first time in a long time, whether you're in the room or whether you're online, my name's Stephen. I'm one of the pastors here. You are here on a very, very special weekend. Why is that? We're launching a brand new series where we're going to be taking a look over the next six weeks. We're going to be studying the Old Testament book of Daniel. It is a powerful powerful book. We're also starting a brand new small group study. For those of you who may be new to small groups, or maybe you're looking at getting into one, our small groups actually follow our weekly messages. And so we, we start a conversation right now all together, and then you continue that conversation with curriculum, with discussion uh, geared questions in your small group that dig deeper into that week. And so I want to encourage you this week is our small groups open house launch party where all of our groups all over the region are opening and receiving new members for the Daniel series. And so I want to encourage you, uh, jump into a small group. They meet wherever you are, including online. If you're still at home, you want to go digital. We have digital small groups as well. I want to encourage you, get into a small group. Of all the series we've done this entire year, I am most excited about our study through the book of Daniel. Today, I want to open up our series and I want to just ask you a question. I want you to really think about it for a moment. I want you to think about this. What do we do as Christians when the culture around us changes? Let me say that again. How do we act? What do we do? What's our posture as Christians when the world around us, the culture of the world, dramatically shifts in opposition many times to our faith? Some of you may be going, okay, pastor, it depends what our response is. Can you define culture for me? Yes, I can. I want to define culture for you. Culture can be defined as the beliefs and customs of a particular society a group, a place or region or time. It's a, look at this, it's a way of thinking, living and behaving that exists in a certain place. Now it's important to note that the, a cultural shift doesn't necessarily result when you change locations, meaning that you can be in the same location, the same country, come on somebody, the same neighborhood, the same job, and while you're there, your, your geographical location didn't change, but the values, the customs, the behavior, the way of thinking around you in that place changes. You know, this is such a special series for me because as a pastor, my primary responsibility to you all right. Isn't, listen, I'm not a politician. I ain't running for office. Like I'm not, you know, here's my primary purpose. The Bible says in Ephesians four is to equip you for works of service, regardless of the culture around you. How do we equip you? We bring you back to the word and the ways of God. And we're going to learn so much about how God has called us to thrive when culture shifts, when we put his word first. As a pastor, that's my primary responsibility. You might be thinking, okay, pastor, how does the book of Daniel 
help us understand how is the book of Daniel going to help us in the midst of a culture shift? In other words, why are we even studying this book? Well, I have three reasons if you're taking notes. There's three reasons why I believe the book of Daniel is a powerful book, especially for our time and our climate. The first reason is this. Daniel's situation is very similar to our own. For most of Daniel's life, he lived as a believer in the God of the Bible in a culture that did not believe, that did not reflect his values. From the time he was a teenager until the time he died, at around the age of 90, he served several foreign pagan kings. He never had the luxury of being surrounded by people who shared his Beliefs From the book of Daniel, I believe we today can draw many, many great helpful principles as we seek to live for Christ in a world that is increasingly hostile and at odds with our faith. That's the first reason. The second reason is the, the book of Daniel, Daniel's prophecies will be fulfilled. Daniel's prophecies have been, many of them, and the ones that haven't will be fulfilled. The book is filled with dreams, visions, and prophecies about the end times. In the weeks to come, we're going to discover an amazing connection between the words of Daniel and our life, even today as believers in our time. The third and final reason I believe it's so great that we're studying the book of Daniel at this time is Daniel's God is our God too. And we learn from the book of Daniel that regardless of the culture that surrounds us, right, he is still in control. This may be the most important lesson of the entire book. God is in charge. It's that clear and simple. He's in charge of nations, families, and individuals. He's in charge of the past, the present, and the future. Did you know studying this book will increase our confidence in the power and the sovereignty of our good God? Daniel's a great example of how a godly person lives in an ungodly, ever-shifting culture. If you would, open your books with me. We're going to jump in at the beginning to the book of Daniel, chapter 1. Chapter 1. As we jump into Daniel, I want to take a few moments in this first week, kicking off our new series, really giving you some context so that you can firmly place Daniel in your mind. Daniel is in the Old Testament in a group of books that are called the Major Prophets. It's right after Jeremiah, Lamentations, and Ezekiel. In order to place this book firmly in your minds, here's a little background. Daniel lived around 400 years after King David in 2 Samuel and about 600 years before the birth of Christ. The book covers the time period of roughly 605 B.C. to about 530 B.C., In the beginning of the book, Daniel's a teenager. He's approximately 15 years old. And when the book closes, he's an old man. He's 90 years old. During his long life, God allowed him to serve under a succession of Babylonian and Persian kings and rulers. From first starting out as a hostage turned exile in the the land of Babylon, he becomes a trusted advisor, prime minister, and counselor to some of the mightiest kings in all of world history. Okay, the book of Daniel is broken down into two primary sections, the practical and the prophetic. The first half, which are the initial six Uh, chapters of Daniel. They focus on the person of Daniel and his friends, okay? While the second half focus on the prophetic. Now, Daniel is perhaps one of the most prophetic books in all of the Bible, 
and it's known to unlock the New Testament book of Revelation. Now, I'm really excited because sometime next year, I'm planning on us teaching, walking through the book of Revelation. So I think it's very helpful that we firmly learn and understand the book of Daniel first, as understanding Daniel will help us understand that later study. Jesus in the New Testament even called Daniel the beloved prophet, and he quoted extensively from the prophetic uh, we see in the book of Daniel. The book of Daniel confounds the critic, but listen to this. It confirms, right? It comforts the Christian because it confirms our faith. Now, as we jump into chapter one, we have three specific characters. There's three primary characters that take the stage at the beginning of, chap- of this chapter one of the book of Daniel. First, you have Nebuchadnezzar and the Babylonians. Now, they represent the world system and a culture that is hostile to the people of God. When you study the scripture, remember Babylon in the Bible is always, without exception, a symbol of evil and paganism. Always, when you see Babylon used in scripture. Second, there's Daniel and his three friends. Now, they represent the believer of God in the world, living to obey God in the midst of a dramatic culture shift. Finally, there's the sovereign Lord. There's God who places his children in the world and purposes to bring them safely back to him in the end. When the book opens, we find Daniel and his friends being forcibly taken from their homes in Jerusalem, and they're deported 500 miles right east to Babylon. There, these godly teens undergo an enormous, an enormous culture shift. I'm going to call it Operation Assimilation. You see, what would happen is the Babylonians would raid these, uh, these civilizations, and they would take the best and the brightest, the youngest, the, the most up-and-coming leaders in that culture, they would bring them back to Babylon and they would spend several years indoctrinating them to be Babylonian and they would serve the king in the court. And so here's what I want to do. First, I want to talk about what this looked like for Daniel. And I want, I'm going to just encourage you to try to maybe, maybe uh, consider what we're going through in our own world, in our own time, as we talk about Daniel and Operation Assimilation. What happens in Operation Assimilation when culture shifts and starts to pressure you into being what it wants you to be? The first thing that it does is it tries to give you a new language, learning, and laws. Anytime culture tries to indoctrinate you, assimilate you, it always starts with giving you new words. One, things that meant one thing now mean another. New learning and new laws. Look at Daniel chapter 1, verses 3 through 5. Then the king instructed Asphanaz, the master of his eunuchs, to bring some of the children of Israel and some of the king's descendants and some of the nobles, young men in whom there was no blemish, but good-looking, gifted in all wisdom, possessing knowledge and quick to understand who had the ability to serve in the king's palace, and whom they might teach the language, look at this, and the literature of the Chaldeans. And the king appointed for them a daily provision of the king's delicacies and of the wine which he drank, and three years of training for them, so that at the end of that time they might serve the king. Again, you can call these verses the Babylonian Operation Assimilation. It begins with the selection process that was aimed at taking the best and the brightest, the cream of the crop, right, of these Jewish teenagers to Babylon. I'm going to tell you, this 
This operation is very sophisticated and clever. We see that. Look what it says. They attempted to give them their own literature, their language, even their own food and their own customs. That's what culture does when it tries to assimilate you. The next thing it does is target, culture always targets the young. Culture targets the young. Nebuchadnezzar here in these passages, he calls in his vice president of human resources, Asphanaz, and he gives him a three-step plan for re-educating these sharp young Jewish boys. Step one was a full scholarship to Babylon State University, the Ivy League of the ancient world. There they would learn the Babylonian languages, whereas science, math, astrology, commerce, history, and even religion. Step two was to offer them free food from the king's buffet. It was all you can eat, man. I'm just telling you, it was all you can eat. Step three was to assimilate their religion their practices, their culture. This is interesting because Babylon's knew what we know today. The way to a young man's heart is through his stomach. Come on, somebody, right? So you have this massive assimilation happening. Uh, you know, and I, I think about this and I think back to my time at college. I remember when I went to college, I attended a liberal arts college and I studied history. That's what my degree's in. And I had this professor that constantly gave his opinion on history devoid from anyone else ever sharing their perspective. And I want to just stop right here because I want to, this is real important. Parents, listen to me too. One of the best things you can do for your children isn't just to teach them what to think, but to teach them how to think. One of the names for God is omniscient. It means all science, all knowledge. You know what happens when you teach your children how to think? Eventually, they will get to God. Now, you certainly lead them to God, and you shepherd them to God, and you prepare them. But listen, I'm just going to tell you, environments that just tell you what to think and, and don't accept any other open perspective. I'm just telling you, they usually are very, very difficult. Here we see, right, right that they're, they're starting to tell these young people how to think, right? How to act, how to be. A culture that doesn't honor God will ultimately attempt to change the language, learning, and laws in order to bring about a shift in how people think and in heart. The next thing that we see that happens is culture attempts to give you a new name. This is perhaps one of the most dangerous things that happens in Operation Simulation. They start to give you a new identity. Now, I think this is very, uh, this is a lot of what's happening in the world. People love to tell you who you are, whether you're this or whether you're that, what color you are, whether you're one of them or one of these. They love to separate and they love to give you sub-identities. But the Bible says you're made in the image of God. The only identity you have is your identity in Christ. That's paramount to your life. And what happens in big culture shifts is there's always this pressure to push on you an identity that is always less than what God has for you. A culture that doesn't honor God will always try to give you a new name. They will always try to rename you. Daniel chapter 1 verse 7. To them the chief of eunuchs gave names. He gave Daniel the name Belteshazzar. Hananiah, Shadrach, to Mishael, Meshach, and to Azariah, Abednego. Daniel and his friends were given new names, right? And they had, I'm just going to tell you, and they had an option of allowing these names to identify them. Let me, let me I have some slides I want to show you to show how this works, okay? Look at Daniel. Daniel means God is my judge, but he was labeled Belteshazzar, which means Bel, protect the king. Look at the shift there. Hananiah means the Lord is gracious. He was labeled Shadrach, which in Babylonian means command of Aku, the Babylonian moon god. Mishael, 
means who is like the Lord was relabeled Meshach, meaning who is like Aku, again, another Babylonian moon god. They were really, really into astrology. As a matter of fact, there's a lot of people who think that maybe the wise men coming from Babylon, right, were, were looking at the prophecies of Daniel when they were coming to present gifts to Jesus. That's interesting. You can study that on your own. Look at Azariah. Azariah means the Lord is my helper, and he was renamed Abednego, which means servant, servant of the shining one, or Nebo, yet another Babylonian god. And, I, and what you see in the book of Daniel is you don't see them uh, overtly denying these names, okay? But you do see them demonstrating loyalty to their, their actual name, the name God gave them. They don't, they don't protest verbally, but their actions demonstrate that they remain loyal, all four of them, to the God of the Bible, Yahweh, one God. Let me just tell you, there's power in a name. There's power when you accept a name that's not the one God gave you. Great question. Do you identify with any names above Jesus? Look what Philippians chapter 2, verse 10 says. That at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. At the end of the day, the only name that you need is the name that God gives you. All other names are going to bow. The Babylonian culture attempted to steal Daniel and his friends' as identity. As his identity. You might look at it as some type of identity theft. I don't know if you've ever uh, went through that personally. I know it's a big hassle. We're very, very careful in our house about making sure we shred documents so that nobody takes our identity. You know, many times what happens when culture comes in and there's fast shifts, the first thing they try to do, remember they focus on the young, but they try to give you a new name. They try to steal your identity. So how do we respond? How do we respond when culture does this? How do we respond when culture gives us a new language and new labels and new learning? How do we respond when culture begins to target our young and project operation assimilation? How how do we respond when we're constantly pressured with, with culture trying to say we're anything other than a child of God, an image bearer of God when it tries to give us a new name? Look what Daniel chapter one, verse eight has to say. Look what it says. This is how they did it. But Daniel, look at this, purposed in his heart that he would not defile himself with the portion of the king's delicacies, nor with the wine which he drank. Therefore, he requested of the chief of eunuchs that he might not defile himself. This verse is so important really for the rest of our study because everything goes back to what you decide to do in your heart. As believers, the Bible says when you give your life to Christ that Jesus gives you a new heart. He replaces your stony heart with a heart, a tender heart towards God. Meaning all of a sudden, right, you can now step out of what you've been taught. Step out of the things that have held you back and you can pursue God's best. Everything comes from the heart. He settled the issue to live as a follower of the one true God. He knew God and he knew the truth. He was a man of commitment, conviction, and courage. And he knew who God had called him to be, don't miss this, and what God had called him to do. Daniel stood firm. This is how we should respond. If you're taking notes, write this down. How do we respond? It's the theme for the rest of our time together. This is how we respond when culture shifts. We stand firm, don't miss this, in our commitment to God. We stand firm in our commitment to God. Look at this. We stand on our convictions. 
Conviction comes from the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit always talks about who Jesus is. We stand on the convictions that we see in the Bible. And look at this. We stand up with courage. What you're going to see as we study the book of Daniel, you're going to see this theme over and over again. You're going to see this theme of they stayed committed to God. They stood, listen, they, listen, they stood on their convictions. They knew who God was. Okay, but, but they stepped out and up in courage regularly. You know, earlier this week as we close, I came across a poem of sorts that really inspired me. I was thinking about what people face, especially as Christians, especially as just people who just want to raise their children according to the Bible and, and, and want to you know, love their spouse for the rest of their life, right? With people who just want to live their life, right? Just, just loving God and loving their neighbor, how difficult it can be sometimes for us. And I was thinking about that as I came across this poem of sorts, and it, it's, uh, there's not, there wasn't any, anything attributed to it, but it really encouraged me. And so what I want to do as we close, and, and before I pray for it, I'm going to read this out, and I want you to, re- just for a moment, just close your eyes wherever you are. Just close your eyes. And I want you to think about this, and I want you to allow this to encourage you. It encouraged me greatly, especially as we look at how we stand in courage amidst a culture shift. Look what it says. It says, I am a part of the fellowship of the unashamed. I have Holy Spirit power. The die has been cast. I have stepped over the line. The decision has been made. I am a disciple of Jesus Christ. I won't look back, let up, slow down, back away, or be still. My past is redeemed, my present makes sense, and my future is secure. I am finished and done with low living, sight walking, small planning, smooth knees, colorless dreams, tame visions, worldly talking, cheap giving, and dwarfed goals. I no longer need preeminence, prosperity, position, promotions, platitudes, or popularity. I don't have to be right, first, tops, recognized, praised, regarded, or rewarded. I now live by faith, lean on his presence, love by patience, lift by prayer, and labor by power. My pace is set, my gate is fast, my goal is heaven, my road is narrow, my way is rough, my companions few, my guide is reliable, my mission clear. I cannot be bought, compromised, detoured, lured away, turned back, deluded, or delayed. I will not flinch in the face of sacrifice, hesitate in the presence of adversity, negotiate at the table of the enemy, ponder at the pool of popularity, or meander in the maze of mediocrity. I won't give up, back up, let up, or shut up until I've preached up, prayed up, paid up, stored up, and spoken up for the cause of Christ. I am a disciple of Jesus Christ. I must go until he returns, give until I drop, preach until all know, and work until he stops me. And when he comes to get his own, he will have no problem recognizing me, for my colors will be clear. Man, isn't that a powerful, powerful statement? I can just imagine as Daniel and his three friends are facing this massive operation assimilation. I can just see them. I can see them standing there. As I read those words, I can see them putting their feet to the ground and standing in courage, standing in commitment and standing on convictions. We're going to learn how to do that through their stories. It's going to be an incredible encouragement. You don't want to miss one week of this series. Let me pray for you. God, I thank you so much, Lord, for the power of your word. I thank you, Father, for what you're doing in our lives, in our church, in our families, in our jobs. I pray right now, Father, as we continue to walk through what is bound to be some contentious times in our culture, in the season that we're in, 
I pray, God, that we, like Daniel, Lord God, would stay committed to you regardless of what's going on around us. Father, we would stand on our convictions, Lord, and we would, when the time comes, stand in courage, loving you and loving our neighbor without any, without any hesitation. May everything we do and say bring glory and honor to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you for listening to this week's message. You can stay connected with us at vintage.church or on Facebook by searching Vintage Church TX. Here at Vintage, we believe that church is more than a place or a weekend activity. It's a spiritual family where Jesus is the center of our lives personally and our relationships collectively. If you are in the Harker Heights, Fort Hood area, we would love to have you join us this week. You can learn more about us, our service times, and plan your visit by checking out our website at vintage.church. We hope to see you soon.